Welcome, and thank you for joining us today. I want to begin this time with a word of prayer, and I invite you to join me. God, we come before you today, and we thank you that you are worthy of our trust. Lord, I thank you that when we think about who you are and what you're about, we have great confidence because you are all-powerful, all-knowing, you are good in your sovereignty, and there is nothing, Lord, that we experience that you don't know about and you aren't involved in. So, Lord, we lift our eyes to you today, knowing that you are worthy of our confidence, knowing that you have proved yourself faithful, knowing that you've loved us so much that you gave us your son, Jesus. And so today we worship you, we praise you, and we ask that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would speak to us today for your kingdom and your glory. Amen. Wherever you are listening uh, today, uh, maybe you want to put this recording on pause and just spend a little time as well in personal worship and devotion to God as a time of uh, reflection but also praise uh, to God and then join in the message. Right now we are experiencing something that we will remember for the rest of our lives. What has taken place and Probably what will take place because of the coronavirus is unprecedented for us. The COVID-19 virus, as it's more technically called, was something that was just out there, but now it's everywhere. It's everyone's problem. And here at home, it's affected everything, hasn't it? Every institution, from finance and business to entertainment to education, uh, religion, family, All of us are touched by it. And as I observe as to how people are responding to it, it's obvious to me and probably to you that there is a lot of fear. This weekend, I went to my favorite uh, butcher meat shop to pick up my regular supply of sausage, which is above all other sausage in this world. And as I drove up, I saw that there were people standing outside of the store. As I went to park my vehicle, I thought, oh, this is... This place is busy today. Uh, Usually you don't see this except for Christmas. And I walked in, and as I took my number, I realized that there were like 20 people ahead of me in the queue. Didn't really like that, but I thought, well, I don't want to, you know, come back some other time. Probably be all right just to take the number and wait patiently. But it really wasn't all right because in the midst of waiting, there were a couple of people who ordered such big orders, literally the numbers that you're watching to go down so that it's getting closer to you, it took about 20 minutes where it just stood still. And you can see people were panicking. They were stockpiling their meat because they're afraid of what is to come. And you've probably seen things like that on the news or even experienced the run on toilet paper, for example, the lineups, the the stockpiling, the hoarding, and probably in some of your conversations, you've experienced conversations where there's intrepidation, there's, there's, you know, cause for worry and concern because of uncertainty. There is fear. Fear of the things that we hate. Illness, loss of job, loss of finances, uncertainty, scarcity, and even death. And sadly, in this time that we're in, there are those who are taking advantage of people's fears. The BBC recently had an article talking about how on the internet people are 
The, the thieves are taking advantage of people. You know, if you are uh, promising a, a, a test or government aid, if you just click here, and only for people to find themselves scammed. So be careful out there. But people are more easily scammed when they're feel, fearful. We don't think as clearly, rationally, when we're afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Fear not. This is an often repeated theme in the Bible as God speaks to his people. Fear not. God does not want us to live in fear. He wants us to live in faith. But even as what we're experiencing right now, it's easier said than done, isn't it? How are you doing with that? You know, as a leader of of a large organization, um, it weighs heavy on your heart. And as I think about our church, um, there is cause for concern. Yesterday morning I woke up and without being conscious about it, I woke up thinking about the financial implications of the fact that Central Heights won't be meeting together regularly on the weekend. What is that going to do to our finances? And I could feel this fear beginning to rise up inside of me. And yet I know, as a pastor, that I'm not supposed to fear, and as God's people, we are not supposed to fear. And yet why is that there? And, and, and I could beat myself up, probably just like you could, if you've thought about thoughts of fear that have risen up inside of you, and then feeling bad about that fear, because you know God calls us not to fear, and then worrying because you're worrying. See, I I don't think we ever completely eliminate the potential for fear in our lives and the the temptation to go to that place where we are afraid. But I think as we look at Scripture this morning, we're going to see that although there is cause to fear, we have every reason not to fear because we have reason to believe in something greater than our fear. We have reason to have faith. Now, faith is not a disregard for facts. Faith is trusting in God in the middle of our reality. Faith is trusting God in the midst of our facts. So when we are misinformed, when there's confusion, that can create more anxiety and fear. But we need to understand a little bit about the facts as much as we can in what we're living in today. And I think it's important to listen to the people who are experts in Um, in the medical field of of what's happening right now, people like our own uh, provincial health officer, Dr. Um, Bonnie Henry, Um, the World Health Health Organization, their lead technical expert is Maria, Dr. Maria uh, Van Kerkhove, people like Tom Friedman, who is the former director of Center for Disease Control in the United States. And when you distill what they're telling us down, here's, here's some things that we need to know, and it's it's, it begins to make things a little bit more palatable. First of all, not all of us are going to catch the disease of COVID-19. In fact, perhaps maybe most of us won't. Um, the disease uh, that, that when people do catch it, uh, for 80% of them, they will never be hospitalized because of it. So it will, it will not be so serious that they would need medical attention in a hospital. In fact, a large percentage of that 80% you know, may feel some mild symptoms and have a rough couple of days or so, but it, it's going to pass. And children, in particular, seem largely unaffected. So even age 18 and below, children uh, 
and young adults or, or high schoolers are largely unaffected by the virus, even if they have it. It seems to have no effect on them. But we do know that 20% and beyond, that in particular, uh, this virus spreads quickly. Much, it's caught much more easily than the flu. And in particular, it affects our most vulnerable, the elderly, and those that already have especially respiratory problems. We know that it's also far more deadly than the flu is. So while there's cause not to be as concerned and panic as some are, there is an understanding that we need to realize that this is serious. And we could have cause and reason to greatly fear, but what I want us to see this morning is that we have a greater cause to move from fear to faith. It's all about where we direct our attention. And this morning I want to direct our attention to God's word. If you'd turn with me to Psalm chapter 27, and we're going to read the words of David this morning. And he says this in verse 1 of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David thinks about God and who he is to him. He calls him his light. You know, in darkness, that's when evil things take place. Um, when there's... Uh, people take advantage of others where there's wickedness. Light is a symbol of goodness and clarity, of walking in a way that we can be confident of. He says, the Lord is that to him. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The word salvation can mean not just a future experience, but a deliverance in the present, wholeness in the now. David says, God is this to me. My light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? A while back, we did a series in the book of Exodus, and we talked about the word Lord, that when you read the Bible and you see the word in all capital letters, what it's indicating in English is that that is referring to the word Yahweh, which is the personal name of God. And in Exodus, it talks about how God reveals the meaning of that name, the goodness through that name, that he is gracious and merciful, that he is slow to anger, that he abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness, that he is just, yes, but he is forgiving. This is the Lord that David has his confidence in. And notice what he says, the Lord is my light. And salvation, the personal name of God, David expresses in a personal way. It's personal for him. And because of that, David can say, whom shall I fear? Maybe you're listening this morning and watching and you're not in a place where you have that personal relationship with God. And God invites you into that. That you can say, my Lord, he is my light and my salvation. And then together with David, proclaim, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Psalms were written really to be sung. And when somebody writes a song, typically it's not just 
somebody else's experience or what they've observed. So often it's, it's out of personal experience, what they have gone through. And when they're singing those words, they're not just singing it to people out there. So often they're also still singing it to themselves. And David says in the second part of this first verse, the Lord is the stronghold. That's like the refuge, an impenetrable place. God is that of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In other words, David isn't just proclaiming to other people that God is your stronghold, your protection, your safety. He's saying it to his own soul. God, you are my stronghold. I put my faith, I put my trust in you. How did David get to that kind of place? We read on in verse 2 and 3, David says, When evildoers assail me to eat my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Where does he get this kind of confidence? Well, we move from fear to faith by looking up. And as we look up, we move from fear to faith by abiding, living in, knowing the very presence of God. Look what David says in verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. His confidence came by knowing, living, desiring the very presence of God, looking up and living there. You know, it's so easy in our present environment to fill our minds and our thoughts with what's going on around us and, and the news and, you know, wanting to know what's the latest count of disease, uh, what is the latest warning and precaution that is being described to us. Uh, CNN recently posted an article written by Alexandra Willingham, and she talks about, um, she wrote an article entitled, How to Keep the Coronavirus from Affecting Your Mental Health, because it's a, that also is a serious part of what's going on. And she gives some really good advice. She says, you need to pare down your sources, that is, find a few sources that you, you trust that are going to give you factual information. You need to limit the frequency of your updates. So don't be constantly looking at the news and what's going on, you know, working yourself up into a frenzy. You need to know when to walk away, just like leave it and do other things. And lastly, she says you need to practice social media discipline. And I would say God's word, David, would describe one more very important thing to us. He would say spend time with God. Fill your knowledge with him. Look at him. Gaze on his beauty. See, when David talked about the temple, this in his day was the meeting place between man and God. It was the place where God met with humanity. But as we move into the New Testament, we realize that God in an indescribable way has made us his temple. We individually and collectively are called the very temple of God, the place where God meets his people, the dwelling place of God. 
And what that means is at any time, at any moment, alone, in groups of threes and fours or, or small groups, collectively in larger groups when it was possible, we can gather together, meet with God, knowing that he will come, dwells with us, and we can gaze on his beauty and fill our mind and our thoughts with a more glorious wonder of who God is and all that he is about. And we find as we do that, as we look at him, as we're looking up, as we're gazing on God, that our problems take on a whole new light. We move from fear to faith by looking up and knowing and living in the very presence of God. And God's presence makes all the difference. You know, you see this also as a theme all throughout Scripture, how important that presence of God is. For example, when God called Joshua to, to lead the people of Israel into the, into the promised land, he called him to be courageous on the basis of his presence. Have I not commanded you, he says in Joshua 1, verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In the New Testament, we all have been given a commission. We call it the Great Commission, where Jesus uh, releases the followers, his followers, to go into the world and to make disciples, to, to share the news about Jesus, to see others come into the relationship that they experience themselves. This Great Commission continues in our lives, but we can go forward in confidence. Why? Because of how great we are, no. But because Jesus said, and I am with you always. Unto the ends of the earth, he will be with us. So his presence becomes recognizable in our lives, and we see this in the early church right from the start. Acts 4, 13 is an example. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. God's presence make all the difference. We move from fear to faith by looking up, living, knowing, abiding in his presence. We look up. And then we also look out. You see, this is the natural progression as we spend time with God and we live in his presence because this is the mind and heart of God. In Philippians chapter 2, it talks about the mind of Christ and that we are to, we are to possess and live in the same mind. And that mind of Christ, as you read Philippians chapter 2, it says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on, Paul, the writer of this passage, to describe how that mind of Jesus, where it took him, it took him to lay his life down for others, so much so that he would be obedient to God to go to the cross. It was sacrificial it was serving. And as we spend time in the presence of God looking up, he causes us then also to begin to look outside of ourselves. Interestingly, as I was reading this article from CNN by um, A.J. Willingham, her next point is that for, for mental well-being is that we need to think outside of ourselves. She's taken a page right out of the playbook of Jesus Christ. Right now is a unique opportunity 
for the church to demonstrate to the world that church is not a building. Church is not a Sunday gathering. Church is an organism. It's a family. It's a community on mission with Jesus into the world. And we have an opportunity now to, to demonstrate, to live that out, that reinforces that in our own minds, but also to the world. You need to know the reason that we have canceled our, our large public gatherings is not out of fear, but out of concern for others. See, we believe it's so important for us to, to gather together and to worship together, but then to be scattered but right now, for us to gather as a large group would not be good for our community. We know from statistics, um, Italy is a great example, that if we can slow down the spread of this virus, what it does is it enables our, our healthcare workers, our, our medical community to deal with the virus as it multiplies in a way that's manageable. If we don't do that, then what happens is the, 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 the curve, the number of people, as you can see on the graph, becomes overwhelming so that then our medical system has to begin to make decisions about who they can care for and who they can't. And in fact, it increases the number of people that will die. We want to serve our community right now by not meeting together in large gatherings. We want to serve our community right now by being individuals who are careful for in every way possible to exercise personal hygiene, to wash our hands as we're being instructed, to be careful about social distance. All these things is not to be done out of fear. It's to be done out of faith and love. For our brothers and sisters, our, our fellow humanity, for our city, for our neighborhoods around us. We look out. But it goes further. And there's some very practical and obvious things and ways that we can look out and be concerned for others. One is to pray. To pray for our community, to pray for our city, to pray for our especially those who are working in, in health care, to pray for our government leaders as, as we're instructed to in Scripture, for wisdom, for, for understanding, and to pray for people's protection, to, to pray that this will, you know, will have minimal effect to pray because God answers prayer. But it also needs to go beyond that. We can say and message one another, encouraging ways, find ways to to speak to one another, message one another, encourage one another. And beyond that, even more so, to do things that are practical. And there's going to be all kinds of opportunities in which we can step up and make a difference in our community. There's going to be needs for, for, for blood. So our blood, we can give blood. There's going to be very practical needs. There's going to be a shortage of, most likely a shortage of, of blood. We can give blood. There's going to be uh, needs for people to have meals delivered to their homes. There's going to pe need, people are going to need supplies, and we can bring supplies to them. And instead of hoarding, we can demonstrate generosity and live different than fear would like to move us towards. You know, as I've been thinking about what's in front of us right now, and it's, it's new for every one of us, I can't help but think about the early church in the second century and what they experienced. You see... This is not the first time our world has experienced an epidemic, what we now call pandemic because it's global. It's not the first time people have faced that. 
In the second century, around 165 AD, there was what was called the Plague of Galen. What happened was Roman soldiers had been in the Far East, came back, and they brought with them inadvertently a disease. That disease was rampant and deadly. It is said that as much as one quarter to one third of the Roman Empire was wiped out because of this disease. To do the math, in Canada, that would mean about 9 to 12 million people would have died. This was a crisis. And it's so interesting and so inspirational to read about the church of Jesus Christ in the middle of that crisis. You see, people were abandoning the sick. They were even thrown out into the streets. But Christians would take people off the streets, people they didn't even know, and bring them in and begin to nurse them back to health at great risk of their own human safety. Um, I have a quote that I just lost here, but Diana Butler Bass, in her book, A People's History of Christianity, writes, because they did not fear death, Christians stayed behind in plague-ravaged cities while others fled. Their acts of mercy extended to all the suffering regardless of class, tribe, or religion and created the conditions in which others accepted their faith. Sociologist Rodney Stark has written about this and he says there was tremendous growth in Christianity between the second and third century and he attributes much of that growth to the fact that it was in this crisis that Christians rose up and cared and loved sacrificially at their risk. Bass goes on to say, a startling idea runs through the early records of faith. Christianity seems to have exceeded because it transformed the lives of people in a chaotic world. Christians need not fear death. We have already died, we are told. In Christ Jesus, we've died to our old lives, to our, to our self-centeredness, and we've risen to a new life in Jesus Christ so that we have nothing to fear. And whether we live or die, we live unto him. We look up and we live unto him, and we know that the heart of our Lord and Savior is for others, and so we live selflessly, sacrificially, self-giving, spirit-empowered. Church, this is who you are. Moving from fear to faith. We look up. We look out. Lastly, we allow God to work in us. David goes on in verse 11 of Psalm 27. He says this. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. In the midst of, of David being threatened, David asked the Lord to teach him. David wanted to know, what God do you want me to learn? What do you want me to get in the midst of crisis? I would say there's tremendous opportunity for us to grow and to learn with what we're experiencing right now and what's ahead of us. Perhaps I recognize in myself that I'm quick to move to fear and panic. It's an opportunity to learn, to go deeper with God and say, why do I have those fears? God, what, what am I placing my trust in outside of you? Teach me. I want to know. 
I want to grow in you. I think, and this applies probably especially for men, but I think in this, uh, this particular space that we're in, where we have a lot of space, because there's no sports. There's no hockey, there's no baseball, um, there's no soccer, and whatever else you're into, it's probably canceled too. Which means many of us will have extra time. We'll have this white space. What are you going to do with it? Please, please, don't fill it with Netflix binging. This is an opportunity for us to, to learn new disciplines. Time with God, prayer, Bible, reading, time with family, looking up, looking out, allowing God to work within Moving from fear to faith. Our circumstances as we look at them could lead us to a place of intrepidation and fear and, you know, uh, congealing in and, and hoarding all the things, panicking. But instead, as we look to God, we can live differently with confidence knowing that it's not about us and our ability to meet the circumstances, but it's about His, His ability in and through us, and that whether we live or die, or whatever happens to us, we already have the most important thing, Him, Him. Gaze on His beauty. Look at Him. Know Him. And with David, be able to say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom? What? Shall I fear? The Lord is the strength, the stronghold of my life. Of whom or what shall I be afraid? And then hear these encouraging words that David speaks at the end of the psalm. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Father, I thank you for the, the beauty of your word. I thank you for the encouragement that we experience to know that others, God, that have gone through difficulties and threats, and as David did, violence in his own life, Lord, uh, being threatened, that we can look up and our confidence can arise and our fears be dispelled because of who you are. Lord, I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to enable us and everyone watching or listening today that your grace would come and fill them with your spirit to give boldness and confidence in a time when it would be so easy to fear. May that be replaced, Lord, by solid belief in you because you are so trustworthy. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening or watching today, and I would encourage you as the days go forward to please stay in touch with us by looking online on a regular basis, reading your emails if you're on our email list, uh, and or uh, paying attention to uh, social as we'll be posting how we can walk together through this um, as a church family, and uh, we want to resource you, and also we'll be speaking to you about opportunities um, that we can make ourselves available for to be 
to be Jesus' hands and feet in this present situation. So I encourage you to do that. And now I just want to leave you with um, God's blessing uh, from his word. This was the priestly blessing out of Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.